Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. In the Gospel reading for this coming Sunday, Jesus is dining at the house of a Pharisee. The question is raised, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and then he leaves his opponents dumbfounded when he says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, that the healing of the man on the Sabbath and several parables Jesus tells. Emily Osmet will join us after that from the Susan B. Anthony list. We'll discuss with her the rebranding of NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, and Pastor Chris Rosebro joins us for This Week in Pop Christianity. Kurt Landry is making Rosh Hashanah prophecies. They don't make much sense, but he's making them nonetheless. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome. Good to be with you, Todd. The gospel reading for this coming Sunday, which we'll get to in time, ends with whoever humbles himself will be exalted whoever exalts himself will be humbled. That is a kind of absolutely countercultural in today's America, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. What the church proclaims in preaching the gospel is a message which is completely countercultural. And frankly, Todd, it has been so since the fall into sin. Since the fall into sin, Every human religion, which is finally and ultimately a religion that worships itself and its own works, is constantly exalting itself to God as the Lutheran confessions say, you know, worship according to the law is to present our gifts to God. And you can extend that. Worship according to the law is to offer our gifts to whatever deity we have fashioned for ourselves. And of course, we're at the heart of that deity, our old Adam, its sinful nature, and it's always exalting itself, exalting its works, its position, its power, its authority, and so forth. And so to be humble, to be brought to contrition and repentance for our sin just flies in the 180 degree opposite direction of what we are according to our sinful nature since the fall into sin. So it's not just countercultural today, it has been since the fall into sin. This is where I would say, and this gospel is an interesting gospel when we get to it, divided into three parts. And at first hearing, it doesn't seem to relate. What is the first part about the healing on the Sabbath, the man with dropsy have to do with this wedding feast and a great banquet and the seat of honor and so forth? But I'd sort of like at the outset to kind of condense it down into this theme. Number one, Christ exalts us and seats us in the place of honor. And of course, 
We don't deserve it. We're sinners. We have not merited it. But that's what Christ does. And then secondly, the humility of faith in Christ that receives this honor and exaltation in the gospel is characterized by contrition and repentance, by a listening ear to God's word, by total deference to him. It receives Christ's healing and it rests in that healing as a gift of his grace that we don't deserve. And because of that, it never exalts itself over a fellow sinner. And that becomes the connection in all three parts of the gospel for the day. So take us a little deeper into the themes that we're going to encounter here. Yes, these themes about Christ exalting us and the humility of faith in Christ is then picked up on in the hymn of the day, which is LSB 557. Seek where you may to find a way that leads to your salvation. My heart is stilled on Christ I build. He is the one foundation. His word is sure. His works endure. He overthrows all evil foes through him. I'm more than conquer. So there is no other God and there is no other Savior. And chiefly, I cannot be my own God and Savior. So seek whom you may to be your stay. None can redeem his brother. All helpers failed. This man prevailed, the God-man, and none other. Our servant king of whom we sing, we're justified because he died, the guilty being guiltless. Seek him alone who did atone, who did your souls deliver. Oh, seek him first, all you who thirst for grace that fails you never. In every need, seek him indeed. To every heart he will impart his blessings without measure. My heart's delight, my crown most bright, O Christ, my joy forever. Not wealth, nor pride, nor fortune's tide, our bonds of love shall sever. You are my Lord. Your precious word shall guide my way and help me stay forever in your presence. Four fervent brief stanzas in this hymn just really hammer home this idea that Christ is my salvation. I can find it nowhere else and certainly not in myself. So the hymn of the day emphasizes total dependence upon the Lord Jesus, not our works, not our piety, not another man, not our position, not our wealth, not our pride, Christ alone. And we have made catechism connections, generally speaking, each week. And in this particular Sunday, I'd like to focus just briefly on the sacrament of the altar and that final question, who receives this sacrament worthily? And I love that question because the idea of worthy reception seems to introduce the idea of merit or works on our part that makes us suitable to sit at the banquet feast of the Lamb, the Lord's Supper. But Luther's question doesn't mean that at all. He says that the worthiness rests on faith. So he is worthy and well prepared as faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require all hearts to believe. So there's the humility of faith. Our faith, the object of our faith as Christians is entirely in Christ and in his grace. And then we can move in the catechism to the Christian questions with their answers that we often don't pay much attention to, but 
It's really wonderful if you're going to talk about the Lord's Supper, you can bring in some of the material from the Christian questions and their answers, which is the fourth and final section in Luther's Catechism. And just a couple of the questions there. Number 16 asks, why should we remember and proclaim his death? And the answer given, first, so we may learn to believe that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins, only Christ True God and man could do that. So there's a, a smashing, a condemnation of any notion that we are worthy on the basis of our works. Second, so we may learn to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious. Third, so we may find joy and comfort in Christ alone and through faith in him be saved. So there's that Christ exalts us to the seat of honor. Faith is fixed totally upon Jesus. It echoes the same thing in the hymn of the day. Seek where you may to find your way. Question 18 in the Christian questions and answers asks, why do you wish to go to the sacrament? And the answer Luther gives is that I may learn to believe that Christ out of great love died for my sin and also learn from him to love God and my neighbor. And so when you consider the Pharisees that Jesus ate with and this leader of the Pharisees who invited him to dinner in the gospel for the day. He didn't believe this, that Christ loved him and died for him, that he even needed that salvation for his sin. And because of that, he also didn't love God or the neighbor rightly. And then you could go into question number 20. You know, what should admonish and encourage a Christian to receive the sacrament frequently? And Luther gives a answer that is lovely here, the command and the promise of Christ the Lord. So I'm not worthy except he says, come. And then he promises me, this is my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And what should you do if you're not aware of this need? That's the final question. And you have no hunger and thirst. And then it's a threefold answer. Uh, the first one focuses on our flesh, our sinful flesh, which presents our need for Christ and his saving gospel in the sacrament. Secondly, the world around us. And then finally, Satan himself who attacks us. So to such a person, no better advice can be given than this. First, he should touch his body to see if he still has flesh and blood. Then he should believe what the scriptures say of it in Galatians 5 and Romans 7. Second, he should look around to see whether he is still in the world and remember that there will be no lack of sin and trouble, as the scriptures say. Third, he will certainly have the devil also around him with his lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace within or without, as the scriptures picture him in John 8 and 16 and so forth. So I think that's a good place to go in the catechism for this Sunday and particularly in connection with the gospel for the day. And then the invitation of the gospel to place the entirety of our confidence in Christ Jesus. How is the collect for the day fitting in? The collect reads this way, Lord, we implore you, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I have often taught that at the heart of the devil's temptation is this lie. You cannot trust God. He doesn't love you. 
He doesn't care for you. And variations on that theme. God cannot be trusted. That's at the heart of all temptations. And this is true. But when we fall prey to the devil's temptation, it turns us into the same self-centered, self-righteous, and condescending arrogance of the beings of the devil and his demons. In other words, it turns us into what he is like. And we certainly see that in the scribes and Pharisees who, because they worshipped themselves, they had no compassion and mercy for others. So they were bent in upon themselves. So the colic says, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only true God. That is to say, to follow Christ, to follow his gospel, to follow his mercy, to follow his self-giving compassion, to follow his capacity to deny himself in service to the unworthy and the undeserving. So the self-righteous will never put themselves in service to the unworthy or their fellow sinner because, frankly, they simply do not live by the gospel. They don't believe they need the gospel. They rather live by the law. So the colic for the day actually prays for what we have cited as our theme. Christ exalts us to the place of honor by his grace. And to receive this honor is to receive it in contrition and faith that never exalts itself over another. The introit is a section in selected verses from Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is that very lengthy psalm that extols the gift, the life-giving character, the beauty, the all encompassing sufficiency of God's word. So many different words are used within the psalm that refer to God's word, like statutes and commandments and testimonies and so forth. And so after confessing one's sin, then we pray the intro it as we, under the mantle of Christ's forgiveness, his justification, we enter into the presence of the Lord praying this intro, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your just decrees. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It is true that the Lord God is just and righteous. And for us as Christians, that justice of God and that righteousness of God is finally and ultimately expressed in the death of Christ for the sins of the world as atonement for sin and in fulfillment of the law. And when we hear the absolution, we are hearing that we are justified, declared righteous by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. So it is true that the Lord God is just and righteous, but if he does not deal with us according to his steadfast love, as the intro of Psalm indicates, we've no hope. So the Christian who believes in Jesus is also the person who, by a miracle of God's grace, desires to be taught the Lord's word. 
That's what happens. We're called to contrition and repentance. We confess our sin. We receive the absolution. And there is born in us, together with that faith in the Lord Jesus, a desire to be taught by the Lord, to be taught his word, to learn the Lord's statutes, to walk in the law of the Lord, to keep his testimonies, to seek him with his whole heart, etc. And that this desire to walk in the Lord and to keep his word is a battle, a struggle against our sinful nature, is why we pray such prayers as this intro. In other words, the Christian is sometimes, you know, I don't have, let's have that desire. Of course, that's the old Adam at work. And so you have a troubled conscience because you don't always feel this free and unbridled yearning and desire for God's word. Yeah, of course, that's why we pray an intro at Psalm like this. The absolution of the Lord that we receive prior to praying the intro is what gives us the desire to pray for the Lord to teach us and to deal with us according to his steadfast love. And this, of course, is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us comfort and that gives us peace and that creates a desire. The battle that rages within between faith and unbelief, notwithstanding, it's why we pray these prayers. We have the desire, yet we don't find the strength of ourselves, so we cry out to the Lord and he hears our prayers and he gives us a love for his word and he comforts and strengthens us by it. What is the Alleluia verse? The Alleluia verse is Psalm 116, verse 1. Alleluia, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Alleluia. Praying these words, we can say, I love the Lord because he forgives me. I love the Lord because he has died for me. I love the Lord because when I had no strength of my own, I couldn't save myself, he reached out and picked me up out of the mire. He forgave my sin. He justified me. So Psalm 116 verse 1 echoes the New Testament themes like we love him because he first loved us. And that love of God in Christ with which he loves us is the love based upon the merits of Jesus and not upon our own merits. And that's what gives the ultimate comfort and ground of comfort. So we enter into the hearing of the gospel for the day. Under this banner, my Lord hears my pleas for mercy. This is why I love him. He honors me, though I do not deserve it. And he seats me in the seat of honor at the feast of salvation. Hallelujah. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary and the gospel reading in Luke chapter 14 is straight ahead. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love 
remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. The message is the mission. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Saving faith is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, Martin Luther writes. How can it not be? It is created by our loving God through His living words and life-giving deeds. Living Faith Lutheran Church is located at 1171 Atlanta Highway in Cumming, Georgia. Come train in God's Word with us for the baptized life in our adult catechumenate. Find out more on the web at livingfaithlutheran.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We come to the Holy Gospel, Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now, Todd, in our discussion of this uh, gospel from Luke chapter 14, it's a gospel that appears right before chapter 15 that includes the parables told against the Pharisees who objected to Jesus 
receiving sinners and eating with them. And this context then is not unimportant. But we'll divide our discussion of the gospel into three parts. Number one, the healing of the man with dropsy on the Sabbath. Number two, the parable of honor at a wedding feast. And number three, the church's call from Christ to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to Christ because they cannot repay us for Jesus' mercy. All right, so the first part, the healing of the man with dropsy on the Sabbath, or perhaps we should use Jesus' own question in that section to the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, we might ask the question first, what is dropsy? Out of all of the maladies mentioned in the Gospels, this is probably the most peculiar. And most take this to be basically edema, the body tissues filling up with fluid. Sometimes in biblical times, it was associated with the malady of immorality. But that's his malady. He's ballooning up. Maybe he had congestive heart failure. Uh, His legs or his arms were filling up with fluid. The text makes clear that Jesus had been invited to dinner by a ruler of the Pharisees for the express purpose of attempting to trap him in a violation of their Sabbath laws. Remember, for the Pharisees and those who trusted in their own works for salvation, the Sabbath was about the work of not working. And let me repeat that again. The Sabbath for them was about the work of not working. So they made a work out of not working. And under this schema, any work was therefore sinful done on the Sabbath. And really, they missed the entire point of the Sabbath. That's why Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The religion of the Pharisees turned everything into a work of their own by which they would justify themselves before God. And this included the prohibition of work on the Sabbath. Jesus taught not only in this gospel, but throughout his three years of ministry, the true meaning of Sabbath, which means rest. Sabbath is the rest, the peace, and the salvation that comes from the Lord working, there's that word work, working for you. That's where Sabbath rest comes from. So Jesus asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Stunningly, the Pharisees remain silent. They will not answer. Why? Because they want to trap Jesus in his words and in his works and have something with which to accuse him. But if they accuse him, it will be on the basis of their works righteous religion and not on the basis of the only true religion, which is the religion of grace. Well, the answer to Jesus' question is a resounding, yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is the source of that healing, that rest, that peace, that salvation to which the Sabbath points. Remember the hymn of the day, seek where you may to find a way that leads to your salvation. My heart is stilled on Christ, I build. He is the one foundation. His word is sure. His works endure. He overthrows all evil foes. Through him, I more than conquer. So my heart is stilled or my heart is at rest in Christ and on the basis of what he has done for me, his work for me that I might rest in him. So Jesus answered their silence then by healing the man with dropsy and sending him on his way. Then Jesus points out the absurdity of the Pharisee's position. 
by pointing out that even they would do good on the Sabbath by pulling their oxen or their donkey or their son out of the pit. But of course, the Pharisees were great at developing rules to govern what they could and could not do so that they could use those rules then to justify themselves by having kept the law. So this is part of what Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. I say to you, whoever is angry is in danger of the judgment. It's a matter of the heart. Or you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can't simply invent rules to get out from underneath the accusing finger of the law. But the Pharisees were experts at it. But no matter how expert they were, this is why Jesus asks that question, is it lawful to do good or not on the Sabbath? And see, he in so doing teaches that the purpose of the law is not to give us a means whereby we can justify ourselves, but rather the law articulates what it is to love God. And then under the second table, what it is to love the neighbor that we might give of ourselves for the salvation of another. Now, part two of this gospel, the parable of honor at a wedding feast. Jesus is actually building upon his teaching in the miracle of the man healed with dropsy with further catechesis. In this second part of the gospel reading, he addresses those who had been invited to the dinner and who had witnessed this miracle, indicating how he had noticed that they all tried to take the positions of honor at the table. And so if you are invited to a wedding feast, he says, take the lower seat, which is a specific reference to how in the call of the gospel to repentance and faith in Christ, we are all called to be the chief of sinners and the most unworthy. A wedding feast, that's the term Jesus then employs here, as he does on other occasions, is the feast of salvation to which the gospel calls us. And none of us are worthy of the invitation to the feast. Only the host of the feast can exalt us and elevate us to the highest position of honor. But he does so on his terms, not on ours. You know, it's one of the things I love about going to a wedding and a wedding reception. It's paid for by someone else and we just simply get to be the recipients of it. So this of course has implications then for how we live together in the church. The humility of contrition and faith is characterized by repentance, by deference to everyone else ahead of oneself. So this section concludes with everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, who exalt themselves, those who are filled with pharisaical self-righteousness and pride, and they will be humbled, if not in this life, to their eternal good than in the life to come. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the humility of contrition and faith results in the reception of God's forgiveness and righteousness in Jesus, whereby we are then seated with him in the heavenly places. So this is an exhortation. You know, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. An exhortation and admonition that we all need to hear so that even 
for us as Christians who have been in the church for a long time, we continue in contrition and faith rather than self-righteousness and pride that exalts itself over others and that threatens to undermine our salvation. Now, part three of this gospel concludes the gospel and it continues really building upon this theme, the parable of the great banquet, the church's call in preaching the gospel. So Jesus says, when you give a banquet or supper, and that references the character of the church as one which preaches the gospel, the invitation, the calling of sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. When you give a supper, it is not on the basis of the works of those whom you invite or on the basis of their position or their standing or their ability to repay the church for the gift and the blessing they receive, but rather on the basis of God's grace in Christ. The Lord desires to call the lowliest of sinners to repentance and faith in him. So you can see how when you, in the earlier part, the second part, when you come to a feast, sit in the lowest seat and let yourself be exalted, which is what Christ does when he calls us into the feast of salvation, the wedding feast of the Lamb. He's the one that exalts us. And now when we as the church extend that call of the gospel in the preaching to others, the same thing characterizes our disposition toward those we proclaim the word of God to, just as Jesus had that disposition toward us. So the Lord desires to call the lowliest of sinners to repentance and faith in him. It is not that we cannot invite our friends and relatives, of course, but Jesus' point is speaking against any notion of merit in those whom the church invites to salvation. Like, we invite the people we like, we invite the people who are like us. If we base the invitation upon things that we like in them, then we risk preaching a works righteous faith and we risk denying the very gospel itself. So you could go back to the first part of this gospel. You know, is it lawful to do good or evil on the Sabbath? So to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind is what the gospel is all about. The message of God's love in Christ to all sinners and without partiality. And you can see here in Luke 14 then the continuation of this discussion in Luke 15 with the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. Parables that were occasioned by the objection of the scribes and the Pharisees. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So it's really all about the same theme. So invite the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Isn't that wonderful? It highlights how the church and her members are blessed when sinners come to faith in Christ because it underscores the grace of God which we ourselves have enjoyed and upon which we base our salvation. And just as there is great joy in heaven and with our Lord over one lowly sinner who is brought to repentance and faith. This is our joy too. And it is the source of our blessing as we share in the rejoicing that other poor and lamed and crippled and maimed folks have come to know the Lord Jesus and the consolation of his love and be seated in the seat of honor in the marriage feast of the Lamb. So there is joy among us in the church today. And our greatest joy is the same as the greatest joy in heaven when sinners come to repentance. So Jesus says, 
you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This promises that we who are now justified by faith in Christ alone and not by the works of the law will enjoy the fullness of that salvation with all our brothers and sisters in Christ on the day of the resurrection. And that will usher in the day of eternal rest or the eternal Sabbath in which we gather around the Lord Jesus who has done good to us and who has seated us in the position of honor at the Father's right hand. And we rejoice together, no matter who we are, what our backgrounds were, where we came from, because we glory in the Lord and in his righteousness alone. Your link to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. Here's an excerpt from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, the Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. While not every passage in the prophets is directly about the Messiah, the prophets invite us to read their messages to Israel as calls for our repentance in light of God's promise of grace, forgiveness, and life in Christ Jesus. The Messianic prophecies are not sidelights or foreign intrusions into the prophets' preaching. Instead, they're pictures of the Redeemer at the very center of their communication to Israel and to us. Find out more about the Messianic message at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order the book 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We'll get into the Old Testament reading in Proverbs for this coming Sunday with Pastor Peter Bender next. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org slash witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, one student at a time.
casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Geeshan. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Satyrum. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender, the Concordia Catechetical Academy, is our guest. The Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday is the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, beginning at verse 6. We will recognize, Todd, immediately the connection with the gospel and this business of seats of honor at a banquet. Solomon says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, Come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. This is the word of the Lord. So the Old Testament reading is obviously chosen to pair with the gospel for the day. It condemns all self-justifying words, and it extols what I like to call the listening ear of contrition and faith that receives the Lord's word in the Lord's way. It connects with the humility and exaltation theme from the gospel at the beginning of the reading. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of great honor, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And that's what God does. You know, if we can take another story from Luke, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee says, I thank God I'm not like other sinners and not like this tax collector. I do this, I do that, I do this. He is exalting himself to the place of honor. And the tax collector beat his breast and would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the absolution is really in this reading from Proverbs. You know, come up here. Come up here to the place of honor. But it is 
an invitation to come to the place of honor on the basis of forgiveness that was unearned and undeserved. What are the gradual in the psalm? The gradual is Psalm 33, verse 12 and verse 6. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. So the nation is blessed, according to Psalm 33, whose God is the Lord, precisely because such a nation would disavow putting itself in the position of honor or lordship, but would give total deference to the Lord. So that all of existence is dependent upon the word and spirit of our God is here contained in the gradual. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And it means that we are all, no matter who we are, from the greatest of kings to the lowest of the low, we are all in the position of being humble receivers rather than lords of our own destiny and future. If the gradual is not used from Psalm 33, Psalm 2 is the psalm for this Sunday. Verse 11 is the antiphon. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. The Augsburg Confession says that the highest worship of God in all of the gospel is the desire to receive the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that our Lord Jesus Christ comes to give, as opposed to the worship according to the law where we're presenting our works to God. And that's what this antiphon is referring to. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling before him like the tax collector who beat his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And to serve the Lord is to desire his love and forgiveness more than anything else. Now, the nations rage against this. The nations rage against Christ, the Lord's anointed, because the world hates the gospel, pure and simple. The world hates the message of God's love in Christ. The world hates the notion that our works are filth. What do you mean? That there is salvation only in the righteousness of Christ. What do you mean? I am righteous. 
That's what the world believes, and it has made a God out of itself. It is why the world hates Christ and the message of the gospel. So this psalm promises persecution for the church. It's linked to how Jesus was hated and persecuted even unto death, and the same thing will happen to us. It promises persecution for the church which adheres to the gospel of God's grace rather than the false piety of the works righteous Pharisees. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary and the epistle for the coming Sunday. In Ephesians 4 is next. Sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. There are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ Alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender is walking us through the propers for this coming Sunday as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Peter, the epistle is Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 1. A short epistle, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So does this epistle give all honor and glory to the Lord and take none for ourselves? Absolutely. Paul begins this by saying he is a prisoner, a prisoner for the Lord. What does it mean? I'm a prisoner to the gospel. I'm yoked to the gospel. And he is happy to be such a prisoner, chained to the gospel of Christ, which he is not only called to preach, but which is the source of his salvation. This man who had formerly been a persecutor, an insolent man who hated the name of Jesus and who persecuted to the death those who confessed the name of Jesus, now he is chained as a prisoner to this gospel. Thanks be to God, it is the source of his life and the basis for what he does in his ministry as an apostle. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. To walk is the language of faith. Go and make disciples of all nations. It is the language of discipleship that follows the Lord Jesus. And when he talks about a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, the call refers to the call of the gospel. You wonder the third article of the creed, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. A manner worthy of this calling means that there should be no exaltation of ourselves as Christians against another, but rather that the gospel of God's grace in Christ is that which characterizes our walk of faith as Jesus' disciples. So the gospel received by faith then takes shape with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And of course, where those things are lacking in us, it is the subject matter for contrition, repentance, for confession, absolution, for prayer to the Lord. Because in the church, there is no partiality. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were all called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, to which we say with St. Paul in the church, to God alone be the glory. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of long gospel? Yeah, Todd, you know, in preparing for this Sunday's discussion, it's a kind of Sunday that I had thought for a long time didn't have a lot of unity to it. And I've just seen great unity between uh, the gospel for the day and all of the other propers. And in that vein, I think that the law must address, number one, all pharisaical self-righteousness and pride in the church and among Christians that would exalt ourselves over others on the basis of any work or merit or qualification in us that would cause us in any way to withhold the word of the gospel and the call to faith to other sinners. Number two, the law must address the refusal to reach out to all sinners. The refusal to reach out to the spiritually poor and maimed and the lame and the blind. And that leads to the gospel for the day. The unique gospel for the day, number one, Sabbath rest. Jesus says, I give you rest from all your sins. I forgive you. I justify you. I give you the gift of salvation. I invite you to the wedding feast of salvation on the basis of my love and sacrifice for you. And number two, 
Following along this, Jesus says, I seat you. At the place of honor, though you do not deserve it and have not earned it, I seat you at my table. I am your host and I am your food. I am your all in all. To which we say, with the man healed of dropsy, thanks be to God. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's also director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Emily Osmet joins us in Hour 2 of Issues, etc. We're going to be talking with her about the rebranding of the National Abortion Rights League. Then, Pastor Chris Rosebow will be alongside. It'll be this week in Pop Christianity Today. Kurt Landry's making some Rosh Hashanah prophecies. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website withangelsandarchangels.org.